BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Undead Walking Podcast. Part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Now, please welcome your host, Sarah Beth Pollock. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Undead Walking Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock, and we have a lot to talk about. It was a busy weekend. Um, October 18th was the Let's see, we had Fear the Walking Dead 602, Welcome to the Club, and then we also had World Beyond, The Tiger and the Lamb. Um, both episodes were incredible, and there's a lot to break down in both of them, so we're going to jump right into it. Um, we also have an interview this week with the Fear the Walking Dead showrunners about episode 602, so we'll have that a little bit later. Um yeah, let's jump into let's go with let's go World Beyond first because there's a lot to break down with World Beyond and um, obviously we have full coverage over on UndeadWalking.com, but uh, you know it's the third episode of a brand new series. You know it's, it's funny if you look at it in the sense that there are only going to be, as far as we know, 20 episodes of World Beyond. Um, 10 episodes. I know there's, I know for a fact there's 10 episodes in the first season. Um, I would imagine there's 10 episodes in the second season. I've seen a couple of comments from Scott Gimple kind of indicating that you know, they might extend it a little bit. Um, I don't think anything's set in stone anymore because of COVID and all of the changes that have been going on. So it's really hard to tell. But at any rate, I think what's important to note is that we're three episodes in. We have seven more episodes to go, and they're trying to build a whole lot in a very short period of time. And I think they're doing a really good job of, of giving us an idea of who these characters are. This week, we learned a lot more about Silas. Um, you know, clearly, he's been through a lot. Um, you know, he has these tapes of his grandparents giving him kind of inspirational messages. And you get the sense that when he was little, that these messages meant a lot to him. And now that he's grown up, he still listens to these messages. And it sounds like he came over to the, co- the campus colony after being sponsored by his uncle. Now, it's interesting because something happened prior to his arrival, and that's why he is the way he is. Um, there's something a little off about him. We're not sure what it is. He seems like a, he's a really sensitive, compassionate guy, but there were also these scenes of his bloody hands and it looked like he had gotten into a fight with somebody. And then he's also really sensitive and he's really, um, 
kind of infatuated with Iris and, you know, is interested in protecting her and her sister and, and being part of this group. So there was a lot of really interesting character building going on with him. Um, I thought it was great when Felix and Huck finally arrived and, and, and met up with everybody and Felix realized that it wasn't Iris who had been talked into this plan, but it was actually Hope. It was Iris's plan who had been, and she was the one who talked everybody into it because he expected it to be Hope to do that. And it was actually Hope who was leaving the clues for him to meet up with them. Uh, so, you know, once they did get clear of kind of the outskirts, the, the blaze of gory, he was, uh, it was really great to see, um, you know, that Felix was willing to stay, stick, a lot, stick around with them um, against his better judgment, you know, not the greatest idea, but at the end of the day, Felix wants to protect these girls and, and do right by her, by their father. And, uh, so that's what he's going to do. And I also think that it's kind of interesting that Huck balances that out and, and sees the logic of it because she knows that they're not going to turn around. Um, and from a viewer's standpoint, it's really interesting also because we're the only ones who know that there's nothing to go back to. If they do go to Omaha and, and restock, they would find out that, you know, they might find out that there's nothing less left of the campus colony. We don't even know if Omaha still exists. There's a lot of questions up in the air, and that leads me to kind of the, the end of the episode, which is where one of the biggest revelations of the Walking Dead universe came. Um, I got a lot of heat on this because I had said, you know, this was a huge episode and, and it was going to shake the Walking Dead universe forever. Uh, I was glad after everybody saw the episode that people seemed to understand what I was talking about. Uh, obviously, I couldn't reveal it when I saw the screener because, you know, there are rules against that. But I think it was really interesting that uh, CRM is now the biggest group in the Walking Dead universe that we know of. They have 200,000 people, over 200,000 people. And um, by contrast, uh, the Commonwealth has about 50,000 people. So they're huge. We know they have at least five helicopters because we've seen those five helicopters. They probably have more. Uh, if they are based in New York, then they have the ability to get from New York to Portland, where the other colony was, down to Texas, to Nebraska, where World Beyond is. So they have the ability to get all over the country, and it, they do it uh, pretty regularly. So it's a really interesting story that's being built, and I'm really excited to see where they go with that. Uh, it also has pretty big implications for, you know, for, for all the shows. It has implications for the Rick movies. Um, there was a moment when, uh, when Elizabeth mentioned the health, the health and welfare uh, office department uh, center, I think, um, which is where she was going to send Barca. Who, you know, and I don't think he actually ended up making it. I think he probably got killed before he got outside. But uh, it's very possible that Rick is being held at that health and welfare center. And if he's not, then he's probably in the labor camp that she hinted at. And that's probably why he hasn't been able to get out. I mean, the, the question that's always been on fans' minds is, 
why hasn't he done anything? Like, why hasn't he showed up after all this time? And I don't know, it seems like that's, that's kind of the answer. Um, I think this has implications also for Michonne because she's on her way to New York. She's on her way North. And, uh, if she runs into these people, you know, we know that Michonne is a very formidable warrior, but she's not going to have anything like there's nothing she can do against a group this size either with the, you know, this kind of firepower. So it changes the, the, the nature of what we know in the walking dead universe. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing as we see more of the universe and we get outside of Alexandria and get outside of Texas, you know, um, down in, in fear, the walking dead, we see that, that Virginia's groups are kind of spread all the way out, you know, all the way around Texas and uh, surrounding areas. So, you know, we're going to start seeing kind of more and more of this universe. And, you know, certainly as world beyond starts traversing the country, we'll see more of what's going on outside of, uh, outside of what we've known also. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, in those terms, it, it really does change what we know about the universe. And I think it's, it's kind of an interesting, um, it was such a subtle mention. And I think a lot of people missed it. You know, there were, there were a lot of people who were like, you know, I didn't pick up on that. And you have to kind of read into it a little bit. And that was where it, it came into, uh, you know, it really came into its own because when you think about that, that number, you know, and you can hear the helicopters in the background and she tells uh, Barca, you know, you're off base. Why are you off base? I mean, they have a whole civilization here. Um, you know, do a quick Google search about which, you know, which American cities are, are have 200,000 people in them. And there aren't many. I mean, or, I mean, there are, there are, but there aren't. Like, you know, when you think about a city of 200,000 people, that's a big city. That's what we're dealing with. And they have everything you can possibly imagine. So it's, it's not surprising that they want to protect their interests, but it is a little strange that they took this long to do it. Um, why this moment? I'm sure we'll learn more about that, but I think it's a really, the timing's a little interesting. It also makes me wonder what they think about Virginia's communities. And, you know, maybe Virginia stayed under the radar because she's not really calling attention. Like she's not that advanced compared to what you see in the campus colony. So, you know, it really opens up a lot of questions. And like I said, there's only, that's the third episode out of 10 episodes this season. So there's still a lot more that we have to learn. Um, shifting gears, I think we should jump over to Fear the Walking Dead. It, this was one of my favorite episodes. This was actually the episode that I was in Austin to see as it was being filmed. Uh, back in February, and it was so much fun seeing Lenny James directing this episode. I got to see him direct, uh, let's see, the scene where the MRAV pulls up, and they're talking to, uh, the Rangers are talking to Strand and, and Alicia, uh, and that's when we first meet Dakota. I got to see that set, that scene being filmed, and we also saw the scene of them being uh, walked through, uh, through the town. Um, that was another scene that we saw the day that I was there, um, they actually, because they weren't filming in order, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so it was actually the first day of filming for a couple of people. Ruben Blades was there, uh, and that was his first day on set. 
And it was funny because he said that he had to go do some animal training with the donkeys. And, you know, of course, we didn't know what that meant at the time, but now we kind of know what he was doing with the donkeys. Um, and we talked with Alexa Nysenson, and it was her uh, one of her first days on set also. So uh, it was kind of, it was just a really special day. And so this episode was really, I was really looking forward to seeing it because uh, it was really neat to see it all come together. And you can actually visit that town, the town uh, on the show, it's called Lawton, but it's actually a Star Hill Ranch, which is a kind of like a little Western village that they they have. I mean, it's it, all the buildings are, are fully functional and you can have weddings there, or birthdays or meetings, whatever you want. And it was, it's such a cool place. And uh, so to see that transformed into this, this apocalyptic town is really cool. So I can't wait to see more of that. Uh, let's see. So the episode obviously centered around Alicia and Strand, and they're trying to make do with uh, their situation in Lawton and, and living under Virginia's rule. And they end up getting sent to this, uh, this factory to kind of, they think they're trying to get a weapon. It's actually a giant test. Um, Virginia wants to see, you know, figure out, who's worth keeping and, and who is, is expendable and, and they pass the test. Uh, I thought that was kind of clever because I think she's had her eye on Strand for a while. And so it kind of gave Strand the opportunity to get back to what he does best. Obviously it came at a price because he realizes that he can't do what he needs to do when he has to worry about Alicia and he has to look her in the eye and, and be the person that she wants him to be knowing that the difficult decisions are often the ones that you have trouble looking yourself in the eye. Um, you know, when you're making those decisions, we saw that with Sanjay and, you know, the fact that he, he used Sanjay kind of as bait to, to draw the, the walkers out. Um, it was effective, but you know, it was a decision and he has to live with that. So, uh, at the end of the episode, he was welcomed to the club, so to speak. He was given his key and given his kind of autonomy in the community. And um, so now, you know, he, he made a choice of who he wanted to keep around. And he ended up sending Alicia and Charlie away because he wanted to, I, I think, keep them safe and also keep them away from what he needs to do in order to do what he needs to do. And by that, I mean, like he needs, there are going to be things that he needs to do that, that might require some decisions that they wouldn't necessarily agree with. So in his mind, he's doing the, the next best thing and sending him away. Um, one of the things that stood out to me in this episode, when I was watching the screener a couple weeks ago, I was terrified for a moment. Um, it doesn't help that I've been watching Ratchet on Netflix, uh, which is like the the story that the, the prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which lobotomies just freaked me out. So when I watched this episode, I was absolutely convinced that they had given uh, Daniel Salazar a lobotomy, that that was what that mark was on his, on his forehead. Uh, it turns out that they just kind of roughed him up a little bit. And Virginia thought that, you know, he, they had jumbled his, his memories. And I had I had speculated early on that he was acting. Um, you know, we know by the end of the episode that he recognizes Morgan and, and you know, he's kind of ready to go into action. I think that that was authentic. And I think that that was um, 
that was his plan all along because what he knew was that he couldn't trust Strand Strand anymore. Um, you know, Strand obviously shot him in the face back in season three. Uh, he's always kind of questioned Strand's motives and doesn't trust him, you know, to put it lightly. Uh, he, he doesn't trust him at all. And the last thing that he knew Strand had done leading up to the season five finale was Strand bartered with the, the MRAV starter to gain better position in Virginia's community. It didn't actually work because obviously they were, they were shoveling poop, um, but he was trying to make a deal and he was willing to kind of put everybody's risk, everybody at risk for the betterment of himself and sounds like Alicia, um, thinking that once he was on the inside, he could help everybody else. But Salazar is the kind of man who knows that that doesn't always happen. So he was not happy. And I think that that's, I think that he was acting the whole time. Um, you know, obviously his, his past as a soldier in El Salvador, you know, a country where people are known as the desaparecidos, uh, the, the disappeared, like people literally just disappear and it it's tied to a bunch of military conflicts. But, you know, he was one of the soldiers that was responsible for a lot of brutality. And that's why when he starts torturing this, the, the military guy back in season one, that was his background. Like he was a, you know, he's a mild mannered barber when we met him, but he had a very brutal past. And so that taught him that he needs to learn how to blend in to any situation. So, you know, looking at Ruben, Ruben Blades, like he's, he's a pretty mild mannered guy. And so I think he made a decision. And I think the decision was, uh, I, I've been roughed up. I'm going to pretend that I don't remember anything. I'm going to make myself as innocuous as possible, return to my barber roots. And we all know that, you know, when you go to the barber shop or the beauty salon, people talk. And sure enough, Virginia is like giving orders right in front of him. So he's hearing all of this with her thinking that he doesn't know what he's doing. So it, it's actually a pretty effective plan. Uh, so, but I have to say like seeing him like that just freaked me out, but that's a testament to Ruben Blades as an actor and to the writing this season where, you know, he was, he was given this, this job of acting like he did not recognize these people. And there was an interesting moment though, where I think he was trying to give a clue to Charlie. I think that he genuinely wanted her to know that he was okay. And that was with the, when she mentioned, uh, she played the song and, and he knew it was the Traveling Wilburys, which was a song that they had played together. I think that he, like, the only reason he mentioned that he, like, he recognized the song was to give her a little bit of hope. Um, but I don't know. But at any rate, it was a great episode. It really had the creep factor. It had, you know, these molasses walkers slipping and sliding out of this warehouse. And, you know, it, it had a lot of the classic elements that uh, episodes had earlier, like back in season one, season two. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, I've, I've been looking at feedback online and it really seems like people are getting into the season, which I, I love because I think that this was what they were building towards the whole time. And 
now we're here. So now we get to enjoy kind of the, the fruits of the labor of getting through seasons, setting this moment up. So that kind of leads me to my interview with, uh, with Andrew Chambliss and Ian Goldberg. They were kind enough to break down uh, episode 602, Welcome to the Club. So I'm going to transition over and uh, put that on for you. And um, yeah, so enjoy. This was an interview that I did with them leading up to, uh, it was actually before the season premiere. So uh, we broke down the first three episodes. And so this is the segment on Welcome to the Club. So enjoy. So let's let's transition over to 602 because... I, um, that was the one that I got to go on set for. So I was able to, uh, to see Lenny in action. Um, it was the last thing I did before our own apocalypse broke out. So that was, yeah. <laughs> that was really exciting and weird and surreal to be there at that particular moment in time. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about how you've crafted the buildup to, to meeting Virginia and her people in season six is that you don't really know, like she's, she's such a, she's so unpredictable and that makes her so much more dangerous than a character like Megan, who has a, a set of rules that he operates from. Um, you know, so she reminds me more of like the governor, I think, than, um, you know, than somebody, she, cause she just kind of does what she wants from what we've been able to see so far. So just, you know, sticking within, within, um, you know, what we know to this point. Um, so after watching 602, I felt like I was going to be, I, I, it was like a rock in my stomach, almost the entire episode until the end when we see Daniel again. And, but part of that was so striking to me because you guys did it again last season. It was, uh, it was the connections to Chernobyl. This season, like, I honestly thought Virginia gave Daniel a lobotomy, and I was thinking, oh my god, Nurse Ratched, like, wow, like, how do you do it? But that was, like, that was jarring. Like, that just, <laughs> that whole, every scene with Daniel was so jarring, because you really didn't know if she had done, I mean, you know, obviously Ruben Blades is an incredible actor, and Daniel's such a fun character because he is such a chameleon. But it was like, it, it's, it's incredibly believable because you don't know what, what Virginia and her people are capable of. And you really see that, you know, that play out because Strand and Alicia are just like, oh my God, what did she do? I mean, so could you talk a little bit about that, developing that side of Virginia into this, you know, this, this character that's, that, you know, maybe at this point, she's kind of unpredictable. And the idea that, you know, that this could have been, um, you know, she could have done something to Daniel and we just really don't know. Like, can you talk a little bit about how all of that came about? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think with Virginia, we were, you know, in season five, we, we definitely wanted to show less of her and, and leave as much of that up to the kind of imagination. You know, we saw inside one of the settlements and we saw that it wasn't necessarily the best place to live, but we didn't know how she kind of really functioned. And, you know, we also have to give huge props to Colby Minifee who came in and owned that character from her very first scene um, when she, she rode into Tanktown, um, which by the way, wasn't an easy thing. She, she hadn't met any of the cast and 
she had to essentially own all of them in that scene. She she did a great job. Um, and you know, when we saw her performance, we really liked the kind of danger we felt from her because we didn't really know what she was going to do. And so then when we were talking about season six and how to kind of crack her open a little bit more and, and start to explore who she is, it was really about um, peeling back a little bit of the layer so we could see what makes her tick. And, you know, we see a lot of that at lot. And then one of the, the big pieces that, you know, we hoped was surprising to people was that she actually has a sister. Um, and that this woman who is all about efficiency and is all about kind of being ruthless in the way she approaches um, survival, you know, she and she told Morgan at the end of season five, she would have let Grace die, and that might have saved the entire group. Um, well, she's someone who has a sister, and, and, you know, I think right now we're not quite sure um, what she would do for her sister, what she wouldn't do for her sister, but that's obviously going to play kind of a big role going forward in illuminating exactly who Virginia is. Um, but at, at the same time, we also wanted to keep kind of that ruthless side of her alive and, and this idea of a work camp that seemed like it was all about um, finding some really useful piece of technology, be it a weapon or, or what, that was inside this factory. Um, you know, the way we kind of conceived of that is like a twofold purpose. It was like a prison camp. She could send anyone who, who was causing trouble. Um, but at the same time, as we learn at the end of the episode, it's really a place where she can also kind of pull the, the uh, wheat from the chaff and she can she can kind of discover talent that she didn't know existed within um, her communities. And, you know, as, as we see with Strand, he kind of finds a way to to uh, use it to his advantage, um, you know, and, and really start to kind of catch Virginia's eyes. And, and, and that's something that he, you know, I think set out to do at the end of season five. And now by the end of episode 602, he's even more poised to, to have her ear and, you know, do, as he said in season five, and as he says to Alicia here, do damage from the inside. And, you know, I think the, the question that Strand's going to have to ask himself is uh, when he gets to a position of power, is he really going to want to do that? Can you can you speculate based on what we've seen this at this point, like what what qualities it is in Strand that she sees that are so interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's oh, yeah, Ian, you go. Yes, sorry, my my dogs were barking in the background, so I had to mute. <laughs> uh, that they they may bark again, so sorry about that. That's okay. Um, you know, I think. I can certainly say what, from from our perspective, what we find so interesting about Strand is there's there's always there's always a question of of motivation for Strand, and you know there's a question of whether it's is he doing something for the betterment of the group, is he trying to do the right thing, or is there some part of him that's really looking out for number one that this is really all about Strand, and. There's, you know, a, a, a great ambiguity uh, to that character. He's a, a really savvy survivor. We've seen that since season one. And I think we see it 
you know, a really fine point put on it in this episode, the things that he's willing to do uh, in order to to advance within Virginia's ranks. And I think what makes that moment so complicated at the end of the episode, when he gives Alicia uh, the St. Christopher's medallion, is it's it's him acknowledging that what he did to Sanjay is just the beginning and there are going to be other things that he has to do, and they're going to be things that uh, he's not necessarily proud of, but he's doing them uh, because he's going to try and do that damage from the inside. And the sacrifice that he's making is it's going to have to take him away from the person he cares about the most, which is Alicia. And so, you know, I think the balance and the tightrope that he's going to have to walk now is uh what is it going to do to him a to be to be separated from the person who he cares about the most and the person who he acknowledges keeps him on uh sort of keeps him honest keeps him you know on his on sort of his moral center uh but also you know at a certain point will it become more about him than it is about the group or will he be able to stay the course and do what he intended to do from the beginning. So it's just, I think Strand's playing a dangerous game, and uh, it's going to be one that, uh, you know, we're going to see him perpetually challenged with as the episodes progress. And it seemed, it seems so interesting, too, because when you see how, how disturbed Strand was seeing Daniel in that capacity, and he tells Alicia later, like, there was no indication like he's gone, you know, and, and, and they've never, they've suffered loss, but they've never suffered that kind of loss where somebody has been essentially tortured, you know, and in his mind, something's happened for this to happen to Daniel. How does that tie into his decision in the end that, you know, that he does have to push people away? I mean, cause we've seen that theme kind of play out over the, over the years on the show where sometimes in order to protect people, you have to push them away. But like you say, he's playing a very dangerous game because there's no control over some, in, in, as far as they know, there's no control over someone who might have been nefarious enough to, to do something that made Daniel into the person that he is now. So is that, you know, how much of that plays into his decision? Yeah, I definitely think that's a factor in it as well. I mean, you know, I think Strand took a big lesson at the end of season five and seeing how Morgan's attachments to the group and to Grace in particular really ended up costing them so much. And and so kind of in this moment where he's seeing what he thinks is, you know, a man who granted he's had kind of a very complicated history with, but at least, you know, at the end of season five, they were somewhat on the same page and, and, you know, their, their shared history bonds them and seeing it feel like Virginia may have taken all of that away from him and, and turned Daniel into a shell of who he was. Um, I, I think that just impresses upon Strand, you know, how much further he may have to go. Um, he might have to, to outmatch Virginia in, in that kind of ruthlessness. And, and that's, I think, part of the reason he doesn't want Alicia to be around him um, you know, and it, it's not just because he doesn't want Alicia to see him that way, but I think it's also because he's worried that having Alicia around him might make him play it safer than he would. Um, 
and, and that's something I think he, he realizes he can't do if he wants to be successful. Definitely. And then just and Sarah to, Beth, oh. sorry, just jumping in for one minute. Um, Andrew and Ian, I know we had half an hour allotted for this interview and it's three, so or twelve your time. So just wanted to jump in quickly. I don't know how your timing is or Sarah Beth, how much um, how many more questions you have, but I know we're still on six oh two, so just wanted to be mindful. Sorry to interrupt. It's, no, no, it's okay. We, we can go a few more minutes. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry to jump in. Oh, no problem. No problem. Thank, you. Thank you guys so much. I, I really yeah, appreciate it. Um, no so we're kind of, yeah, we were kind of uh, at the, the last question I just wanted to touch on with that was just um, with seeing, with seeing Morgan at the end, you know, I, I know that, that there's this focus on the anthology format, but it's kind of neat that, that they are, there's that tie. So is that something that we'll continue to see, um, you know, where there's kind of a hint there's you know connection to previous episodes with each episode that comes so you know at the end we have morgan jumping into 602 will we see other characters popping in kind of at the end of episodes or will that factor into the into the anthology format uh yes um uh, uh with it i think the thing that we we love about the anthology format is these episodes are really concentrated and, you know, tell two and three character stories that are self-contained, but you'll see, and it starts here in episode two, that there is a cumulative story that uh, will spread across the episodes. And, you know, a big part of that is going to be what we see here, sort of the seeds of a partnership between Morgan and Salazar, again, an unlikely alliance forming there. And, you know, I think we can safely say at this point, you know, what Morgan's plan is, he is trying to figure out how he can get his family back, how he can extricate them from Virginia's communities and and build up uh, the place where uh, he's he's setting up with uh, Rachel and, and Isaac's baby. And so. Uh, this is really just the beginnings of that, and yeah, we're going to see a a mounting story uh, with that, and and also uh, those two gentlemen that we saw outside the submarine at the beginning of 601, and the graffiti that said the end is the beginning. That's also a cumulative story that we're going to see continue to build, um, and it may or may not end up colliding with the Morgan story. All right, I want to thank Ian and Andrew for taking the time to answer my questions about the episode. Um, it's always fun to have their insight and to get their opinions and uh, perspective on episodes. So really appreciate that. And that about does it for our, our podcast today. Um, I want to thank you for joining me. And as always, if you like what we're doing with the Undead Walking podcast, uh, feel free to leave us a review. Uh, rate us, send us questions on uh, the Undead Walking social media channels. Um, we'd love to hear from, from our listeners. And um, yeah, I mean, this is, it's a really exciting time to have these two 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 shows on the same night. I mean, it's, it's something that uh, we, we don't get a lot of. So it's, it's been fun to kind of balance it out. So hopefully I'm doing a good job with with talking about both of the shows and uh, if there's anything you'd like me to address specifically, 
let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, and I will make sure to address them in a future podcast. Uh, so yeah, so next week we will hear from Andrew and Ian again, and I believe I have some Maggie Grace for you next week also. So there's a little bit of everything that will be coming this week. And uh, again, a reminder, we have full coverage over on undeadwalking.com. And uh, so make sure that you are checking everything out over there as well. So thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great week, everybody. And as always, stay safe, wash those hands and watch out for those walkers. Thanks, everybody. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.